Ring ring, it's time for another episode of Crossplay Conversations, the show where we dive deep into the world of video games while keeping it light. I'm your host, Luke Lewis, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, the sneaker savant, Joseph Hooper. What's up, guys? I feel like sneaker savant. Let me just pull out a sneaker. You keep saying it's like not a, an appropriate title, but then I see shoeboxes. I say, look at those shoes. Those are clean. Those these are great. I'm a Meniere Jordan 3s. Woo! All right. This is uh these are made in honor of women. All right. This is technically a women's shoe, uh, but right it's on. also unisex. So this is one of my favorite shoes. I'll show a next one. I'll show another shoe next time so I can live up to that title. Quick shoe take. I feel like women's Nike shoes often have cooler colors. Is that a thing? Which like I mean all all f- good you know gender equality support women, um, but I want some of those shoes. I will say, women have some nice shoes. I think women often get shafted. All right, because okay. there's a lot of shoes that are just men's shoes that don't mm. have enough size runs in the smaller okay. size. Mm. Okay, all right, so step it up, Nike. What are we? Yeah, we, every shoe just should just ev- be unisex. I, I mean, that's sure, more what I'm getting at of just like everybody have, like have a, all the colors. Yeah, let's pick it up. I mean, sure, you can have like a you know a women's theme shoe every now and again, but let's get bigger size runs. All right, why are we running out of Jordan One, Spider Man, Chicago's? All right, can we please just add some more, please? I mean, You're I'm used me. to that given the fact that I have like seven and a half baby men's feet, and Damn, Nike doesn't that's... carry like anything smaller than an eight in store. So I have to special order my air maxes or my, my uh, air force ones. And that third voice you hear <laughs> with his baby men's feet. Yeah. Is our third chair. The gang is back together. You know him as the host of many a panel and many a podcast. One of which we, you can find on GiantBomb.com. It's the business boy, Jacob McCourt. Hello. Yeah. Uh, I have a, c- can you call me the Wii U wonder kit? I feel like that's the new moniker. Oh. I want to be known as. Okay. <laughs> We you wow. wonder kid. <laughs> I know oh. you're not supposed to like make your own nickname, but I feel like I think that's the one that I want. Employ whatever you want. Yes. That's Do we need it. props in this this episode? Because I I came prepared uh, with my play date that I want to show off that Ooh, I just it's got. Very cute. Yeah. Impressions. Cute, I guess. What a maybe cute in a future handle. episode. Sure. Yeah, I'm down. I played it at PAX. It's a. It, I was pleasantly surprised at the mm-hmm. depth. Like, yeah, I played cool it for five minutes thing, so far. Yeah. So I'll let you know soon how I feel about it. Right on, right on. How you guys doing? I feel like it's been a hot minute since we were... I think this is the first episode where all three back together after PAX. Been doing lots of things, staying busy. But how we doing? Good, I'm getting ready for a move. Uh, So, you know, I've been traveling a bunch, and now I'm going to hopefully nest a little bit and get ready for this move. But uh, rip for me to do a move in the winter, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Joseph. I thought about that the winter. Is that bad? or? Like, I mean, in what? Canada, like, I live in basically the, the Florida of Canada, but still, like, there's mm. a chance there may be snow when I move I in see. December, and I, I just, see. the thought of that makes me want to die. Yeah, That's fair. fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, On my side, we all know, or us, us boys know, you know, I, I have a job, all right? I wish I could be <laughs> playing video games all day and doing video game coverage, but I have a job, and that job really is squeezing every little bit of juice out of this body that it can get. So I've been working a lot. Uh, I've been having a lot of friends visiting and all that stuff since uh, PAX. So not a lot of rest time, not a lot of gaming time. Uh, so I'm going to definitely try and claw some of that back heading into December uh, when I don't have a move. But we're surviving. We're surviving. 
Love it. Luke, you good? How you feeling? Yeah, doing pretty good. Playing a lot of games, which we'll get into. Um, Trying to stay busy, you know, fighting that that unemployment fight and job front. If any listeners out there have any contacts, (laughs) hit hit me up. I'm, I'm available. But, you know, making the most of it, enjoying it. So that said, though, there have been just too many video games happening. So we are doing a little bit of an indie review roundup today to talk about a slew of fantastic titles that we've been playing because we just couldn't pick one. There's mm-hmm. two, Otherwise, things get lost in the shuffle. We got a lot of great games to play. So I feel like, I don't know if y'all feel the same, but this gaming season, I feel like I am driving a car on the freeway full steam ahead and like pedestrians are throwing games at my car and they're like you would like this title you would like this game this is totally up your alley and i'm just like i'm moving i can't even stop to think about what you're doing so that said this is our first first derailment of the podcast here we go my my car's still going but you're like dragging you're holding on to the back here i'm trying to i'm trying to pull us to a stop here (laughs) this is not this is kind of like a topic within the topic it's not off topic so oh yeah this year has been incredible for games. And I would say mostly the best of the best in terms of studios that we, we know it's as terms of like the top trend setting studios have basically brought their a game this year. We're talking respawn with Jedi survivor. We're talking Starfield, um, Spider-Man coming up. I feel like similarly though, on the indie front, it's been a little quieter. Like, even my favorite indie game thus far, Dave the Diver, we'll talk about Cocoon in a second, but Dave the Diver was absolutely my favorite indie game by a a mile. Mm-hmm. I feel like didn't stay in the conversation as much as we typically would see. Like, I mean, to be fair, Stray, I think it was last year. Was yeah. it Stray last year? Stray mm-hmm. came out last year and yep. that like took over the conversation. I don't think Stray had would have had a chance this year. How do you guys think do you guys think this is just like hey there's just so much competition that it was just kind of like not the best year for an indie game to steal the spotlight do you think that this trend is going to continue or do you think that next year we're probably gonna indie games are probably going to start filling in the gaps a little more again with silk song uh allegedly hope hopefully that's coming never out coming out year, maybe <laughs> um it's coming out I'm, yeah i'm just not going to put any date predictions on it i'm done we'll with see. that anymore <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah, I'm just curious. Like, do indies can indies kind of claw back some of the the hype and interest that they have in the past next year? It's a good question. I think for me, I just feel like indies and triple A's can kind of do their own thing, and that's okay. And I don't need indies to have like the same level of like a marketing presence or like presence in the zeitgeist that some of these triple A games have. But I will say they're have been several really solid indie games that have stood the test of time for me this year. And I feel like did get a pretty big um, support marketing push from the big major publishers. I'm thinking about like Venbo with ID at Xbox. I'm thinking about um, we're going to be talking about Goodbye Volcano High on this episode that had a big presence at PlayStation through their different events over the years. I think it was first revealed at a PlayStation showcase way back in the day a couple of years ago, but things like that, I think are kind of bringing more indie games to the forefront. But I, I hear what you're saying of like, there haven't been, 
I don't we we talked about this on an earlier episode of the show, but like that generation defining title. But I do think not to spoil things, but I do think Cocoon is one to talk about and one that will be a part of conversations for a long time to come. So, so put in the feelers out for that one. I'm I'm gonna set some more set some more alley oops for Jacob to kind of pick up from. Okay, from what said, right? <laughs> hit like, me, brother. Hit adding me. on to to what I said, right? I'm in I want to make it clear to everyone. I've played some great indie games this year. I haven't played as many as I would have liked. Uh but I do think that by the end of it, Sea of Stars will be one that sticks for me, sticks with me for a long time. I'm already loving that game Cocoon for sure. Um but that's a big but. Uh although I agree with you Luke that indie games and AAA games are their own spaces. I do think that in the indie game space in general does need their poster childs every year to kind of keep the eyes and keep people interested in looking around in that space. Um, I think, for example, like Celeste and Inscription last year really had people interested in the indie game space and they play this and they're like, what else is out there? Um, and unfortunately, some of my favorite games, indie games, are some that just kind of fell by the wayside and I, I talk about chained echoes which i think got a lot of praise within the industry from people who played it in december which it released <laughs> which you know do what you need to do but i am don't so launch in december game. yeah just yeah, don't so, do it that, that might be one of my favorite games period and nobody wow. kind of talks about it because it just kind of came at a bad time so um i'm very curious if we kind of find these moments for the poster children to pop back up next year, because even though a lot of the Vimba is great, you know, cocoons great. I think by the end of the year, that indie conversation is going to be trounced by Baldur's gate versus tears of the kingdom. And there's yep. not, not really going to be anybody to be the face of indie games this year. I don't know, Jacob. Yeah. I think there's thoughts. like a lot of factors that I think about when I think of why this year, every major publisher wanted to dump a triple-A game in this space. I think it's there were a lot of COVID delays in production that we still don't really talk about. I think I don't work at a publisher, but I'm assuming we're almost through the, the woods about uh, COVID um, uh, production delays. So maybe that's why every game publisher wanted to dump their biggest titles here. Uh, I think for the Switch, we're approaching the end of its life cycle. So Nintendo needed to dump, like specifically dump their big ones this year. Um, but then I think of like how indies could resurge. And I think there's a couple of factors there to, to keep in mind. Uh, you know, there's been a bunch of layoffs in major uh, publishers. Look at what Epic did, laying off 16% of their workforce this week. Where do those people go? They may go to other studios. But when interest rates are very high, there's likely not investment happening in large developers. That's probably the time in my mind where people go and they, they start their own thing. So I don't necessarily know if next year's the year where we see a bunch of new stuff. But there could be a, 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 you know, a wave of new indie developers that come out two or three years from now that decide to make the next inside the next inscription the next you know big the next sea of stars um but i think the whole um the last thing i'll say is unity and their questionable decision making may cause problems for these developers as they have to retool and think about new engines as well so joseph i just give you a word soup that was not the answer i guess in short no uh, i got the I, answer out of there I, yeah. I think indies are going to be stronger next year, but I think we're going to get stronger indies two or three years from now. 
I agree. I, I think there's been this weird, like, timing thing where everybody, AAA and indie included, have re- basically reached their limit in terms of, like, we cannot delay this game any longer. Uh, typically, indies can kind of slot themselves around in the year, depending on what's releasing. AAA games, too, typically have their own cadence, but a lot of the AAA games that we're finally seeing now have either been delayed internally, been delayed publicly, um, and a lot of the indie games, like Jacob said, with your with their investments and stuff, I think the clock is really like ticking on times of like investors wanting their investment back. Um, so I think it's kind of just like a hey, time's up for everybody, not just indies, not just AAA, like the whole industry, um, needs their money back. They need to, they need their pockets filled. Uh, which is why you see the layoffs because of like all of these kind of like rent due type moments for every studio. Um, so I think the clock resets, hopefully in 2024 clock resets, like, Hey, I think investors are still going to be demanding their money for games that have been in development for quite some time. But when the clock resets in 2024, hopefully the expectations on these timelines and projects kind of aligns with that. So we don't have the such a strict cadence where it all kind of falls on top of each other in the same year. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only guy who talks about interest rates and how it affects the games industry. I feel like yeah. friggin' Michael Pactor sometimes, but... But truly, like a lot of the investment comes when it's when debt is cheap and debt is no longer cheap. Right. So I think that we're, we're due. I mean, think about even some of the moves that Epic has made with respect to exclusive uh, publishing rights for, you know, games like Remedies games and for they had an exclusive publishing arrangement with um, with Playdead as well. You know, those are weird, low cost uh, bets that they can make. But in a world where money's expensive to get, is it a bet they make? I don't think it is. Yeah. All right. It, Enough of that. Oh, wait, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> sorry Luke. Luke's like, actually, no, you're fine. Well, like no, that. I was just going to say, Jacob, it's interesting to you that you bring up the points of like the impact of COVID and now we're seeing this push to get releases out. And then I think we're going to see the, uh, the other end of that spectrum of mid next year to next fall. I think we're going to see a lot of games delayed to the following year, a lot of games not coming out. And it's going to be that dead zone ripple effect of like all the projects that were started in pre-production amidst COVID, I think are now going to be several years out. Um, but yeah, it's the, the business end of things is obviously not my like expertise, but it is interesting to consider these layoffs in the lens of like, man, a lot of these companies are just trying to make their P and L's look good for the next quarter. And then they're going to ramp production up early next year again. And just like hate to see people's lives getting played with in this way. But Epic is a privately held company also. It, yeah yeah, that's a whole episode in and of itself but yeah fucking crazy (laughs) i'd love to segue into talking about this release schedule um idea my icebreaker question for today um like we said there have been a ton of great games coming out this year but i was curious looking back do you have any other years that compare in terms of like crazy number of releases whether it's triple a whether it's indie just to kind of um think about like we're saying this like Pre post pandemic, how do things stack up this year? Joseph, I, I saw you had a point. Hit, hit me yeah, with it. I think uh, me and Arsene did a an episode on like the best video game year of all time. And I think we're looking at 2017 is one of the big okay. years. We had Breath of the Wild, Super Mario Odyssey, uh, Persona 5, Undertale, 
Uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, uh, Shovel Knight Treasure Trove, and other stuff in that yeah. year. I remember that being like a pretty big year. And then also, I think 2013? 2013? I can't remember what came out that year, but that I would have been Last of Us, Bioshock yeah. Infinite, yeah. Grand Theft Auto 5. Yeah, it's also a banger year. Couple, couple other ones. How about for you, Jacob? Yeah, since I'm a little bit older, I always go back to 2007 as the year, mm. and that one would have been the the year where Bioshock launched, Assassin's Creed launched, mm. Crackdown, Crisis, Mass Effect, Portal, Rock Halo Band, 3. Skate, The Darkness, The Witcher, Mario Uncharted, Galaxy. Mario oh. Galaxy, yeah. Metro oh. Prime 3. Like, that's oh. the year where, where <laughs> I think year. about. It's a good year. And I think 2023 doesn't, like, hit that one, but it gets really damn close. I think yeah. 2023, at least in the last 10 years, is like the year for video games where I think like, damn, I don't know what's going to win at the Game Awards. And not to say like the Keeleys is a thing that I use as an anchoring device to say, is this year good? Um, but not knowing what the game of the year is there sort of to me says, yeah, it's a banger year for video games. Yeah. And it's kind of the opposite of like, I think about 2019 as an interesting year as far as like, I didn't know what was going to win that year either. But in a sense that like, nothing was really like there wasn't like a thing that was head and shoulders above everything else like there were some great games controls great jedi fallen order other titles but like nothing was like this is definitely going to take it all and i i feel the same about this year i'd throw out 2018 as my personal pick between spider-man ps4 red dead redemption 2 celeste dead cells um those were some of my like still favorite games of all time but i think to your point jacob like it's hard to argue against 2017 or 20 or 2007 2007. rather because how many like original ips or like first entries of crazy influential series happened that year so that's definitely a big one I'm going to bring up a tweet from a CG mm. Danny B, who I've, okay. I've become a big fan of in the last uh, two months. He's an indie game streamer. Uh, nice. He brought his predictions for uh, Game Awards Game of the Year. Okay. Tears of the Kingdom, Starfield, Baldur's Gate 3, Armored Core or Final Fantasy 16, Dave the Diver or Sea of Stars, Spider-Man 2. So even looking at that list, at least three of those are very probably a Game of the Year contender. So Yeah. Absolutely. Banger year. Absolutely. Yeah, heck yeah. We're for a treat, man. We're for a treat. <laughs> Speaking of treats, let's talk about some recent game releases that we've been playing. There so it is. So we have four titles that we'll be talking about today. Kicking things off, let's talk about Cocoon. Joseph, do you want to kick things off? I feel like of the three of us, this was one that you were like, this game's not going to have the sauce. Don't forget to play this game. <laughs> Cocoon. Yeah, yeah. What, so, what did you think now that you've you've gotten a chance to play it? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give the backstory, right? Yeah, please. Um, so, for me, one of my favorite types of games is the inside limbo, little nightmare style game where you are playing, you are solving puzzles, and you don't quite know the story until you complete the game. Like that's my favorite part, where I am kind of dropped in this world. And everyone involved in the game, every NPC, every character you play as knows what's going on. But you as a player don't really understand until you complete the game and kind of get the final picture. Um, I love those games. And I was very scared that it would be a while before we had that same kind of experience captured again. Because uh, the Playdead studio kind of broke up. 
and Little Nightmare Studio got the rights got purchased by Bandai Namco or something like or got sold. I don't know. Uh, but there was kind of it was kind of dicey where I was like, man, like two of my favorite franchises slash developers, you know, who knows what's going to happen with them. So we got two announcements. All right. We got Somerville, mm-hmm. which came first from a former Playdeads uh, developer. And I, I believe they were more of like the lead character artists or lead artists on on the uh, inside Limbo games. So I was like, OK, um, I was very excited for that. Played that last year, but didn't quite hit what i needed to like the the visuals were pretty much there but the overall vision was kind of lacking uh so i was kind of disappointed i was like bum man like we're we're not getting back to those heights that we we had before and then got another announcement cocoon from another play dead former play dead uh developer and this person was i think the lead gameplay designer so kind of light bulbs started going off in my head. I was like, wait a second, lead gameplay designer. All right, now we're, now we're kind of talking, all right? Like we might not have the same visual identity as some of like the other games, but lead gameplay designer is exactly what I wanted to hear. Now, looking at the trailers is just kind of trippy nonsense, I would say. Like you kind of get an idea of, oh, you're kind of jumping in worlds, out of worlds type situation, puzzle solving, but it's not, you don't really get a good vision of what the game is. Uh, so I was just kind of crossing my fingers and hoping my hype would deliver. Game is out, spoiler alert, which is why we're talking about it. Uh, it's pretty short, probably three to four hours or something like that, maybe five hours to 100%. Uh, and the verdicts are in. I love this game. This game does absolutely capture that vibe that uh, the original Limbo games capture, that somewhat of the little Nightmares kind of style captures. And I am delighted to know that there is now a new studio on the map that has this this special type of genre on lock for hopefully the next couple years. Um, so kind of just quickly going into eye level points of what I loved about this game is like the puzzles are uh, I think masterclass design where uh, it's not necessarily about breaking the player down and having them solve the most difficult puzzle it's not necessarily involved in like oh like we're making this easy we're going to guide you through this it's just like the perfect balance of difficulty and exposing you to mechanics and kind of like walking and holding your hand through this what I would describe as a theme park, uh, Disney theme park experience of a puzzle game where it's like, okay, like you're walking and okay, you can pull on this thing and this thing does one thing and we're going to teach you that this thing does one thing. Uh, And then we're going to take you to this thing and this thing warps you and it does this thing. And we're going to teach you very clearly that these things do these things. And then we're going to put it all together and we're going to kind of break your brain on how these things work together, but not in a, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go uh, situation. It's just kind of like, Oh shoot. Like this is crazy. Like, Oh man, I didn't, I didn't know, know this I game could do this. Could do this. Right. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think that's really the bread and butter of this game. And I, I do love like the, the bigger themes and kind of like the, the hidden story that's being told as you play as well. But just the way the game guides you through the experiences that they have crafted and like perfectly demonstrates, Hey, like this is why we're in our bag. This is why this is, this is what the play dead, former play dead developer moniker means. Um, 
was fantastic. I, I didn't find any, I didn't see any glitches. I didn't see any frustrations. No, like, oh, what the heck? This isn't, I think this should work this way, but it's not. None of that. Just simply, all right, I see the puzzle. Can I solve it? No, I think I can solve it. Just give me more time. And that's really all I can ever ask for a puzzle game. Over. Yeah, for sure. How about for you, Jacob? Yeah, so I, I finished this one as well. I, I played it in two sittings, which is normally not the type of... I'm not that guy, but I was so enamored by the game design. There are very few games that I can think of that are as well-designed as this one, where, like Joseph said, you will at many points just learn by doing. It's a one-button game. It's literally like cross on PlayStation, A on Xbox, and everything that you need to do is done with that single button. And it teaches you what you need to know, but the only time where your brain never breaks is those moments, exactly as you said, where, you know, uh, you know, Kyle Stevenson explained the core mechanic of the orbs in this by calling it like a Russian nesting doll, where you essentially mm. travel between, like and this is in the trailer, so it's not really a huge spoiler, but I'll be, I'll be very careful about how much I say here, but essentially like you will go between different worlds by traveling in orbs. And at one point in the game, no, I'm not going to go there. Um, it, it, it just gets really interesting and anytime that you don't really know where you're supposed to go next, it's because you just have to like take a, a one inch leap in logic to go, Oh, if this orb does this or this mechanic does this, can I put it together with this other mechanic? And the answer is always yes. Uh, so the, I think three times I needed to look up a walkthrough. It was because I didn't realize I could smash two like well-designed gameplay elements together. Uh, it's very story light, but I was okay with it because this thing is a masterclass in game design. Luke, are, you're not finished yeah. it yet, right? I think I'm like basically just on the precipice. I was trying to finish this and goodbye Volcano High before today. I've played like three hours and 40 minutes and change. What percentage um, are you at? Do you know? I don't off the top so of my when head, you to be honest. Load... Without getting spoilers, I have a purple orb and I've Got done it. a lot of stuff with it. You're probably so... like two-thirds to three-quarters of the way okay. through that's about what yeah. it felt like but yeah i absolutely adore it so far as well i i agree with everything y'all have said i just i think the word i keep coming back to is elegance when i think about this game it's just it is a master class in game design and in to your point joseph about like the way it like teaches you new abilities and kind of leads you through things i think it's just so clever and so thoughtful in the way it guides you through the world and we talk about i feel like especially in years of like from software titles and all this stuff games not prompting you and guiding you through things have been like a hot button discussion of like how this game does it well how this game kind of sets the player up for failure this game strikes the perfect balance between giving you environments and directing you along a path but not feeling so intrusive of like, here's the button prompt of this is yeah. how you do it. Like there's a lot of self-discovery in this game, but it's like the way the game is paced and the levels are designed are in such an approachable way that just feels really like really, really nice to, to progress through. And I think it strikes the perfect balance. The only other puzzle game I can think of that I felt this similar about is portal in a sense mm -hmm. that like I enjoyed the moment to moment gameplay I never felt stupid, and when I solve puzzles, I it's always a moment of celebration, um, jubilance, you know, just really <laughs> good vibes. But I also was very, very impressed with um, just the overall the 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 animations, the transitions to get into the visuals a little bit. Like I think um, 
to your discussion of like hitting on that play dead style joseph i think this like elevates it in a really interesting way and yeah incredibly special game when we're talking about indie bangers like this has skyrocketed up my top 10 list and i i think this is a game that we will be talking about for a long time because i think puzzle games like take notes because this is this is very very well done yeah, the the world building reminded me a lot of like Denis Villeneuve's movies. So think Arrival, I, I, Blade Runner. That's Dune, what I think about. Yeah, it. I was kind of thinking exactly. that too. Yeah, with the colors and you know because there are you know different worlds. This is something you've seen in the trailer. Each one was distinct, uh, not only from color palette, but the way that the environments were built, whether it was like a deserty level or more of a swamp level. Um, they all had their own character. And uh, I, I tend to agree with you, Luke, that this is one that will be on my list of top 10 games of the year. And when we think about puzzle games, it'll be on, it'll be on the list of like the, the, 10, the 10 puzzle games you have to play now, it'll be on there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that my favorite part about this game is like whenever i play any game right i'm there is a separation between like the experience and the gameplay where i want the gameplay to be as intuitive and polished and snappy as possible like whether that could be this game where like jacob said it's one button it's it's a and yet you're doing such a wide variety of things in this game i think that's absolutely incredible and it's kind of like okay what if they expand it to two buttons next game, right? Like how much does that open up the scope in, in terms of what they allow you to do? But also like a game like Sekiro where you have a ton of buttons and you're pressing all sorts of combinations to parry and attack and all that stuff, but it feels right, right? Like um, I want it to feel right immediately and in Cocoon it does, uh, but there's also the gameplay aspect where I don't necessarily want it to feel right at the beginning like my favorite games are games where i just don't know what's going on mm -hmm. where i like i every step around the corner there's something new that appears that you're like oh wow this kind of changes everything i've learned up to this point and now my my perspective on what may be happening or how to play the game changes i think of uh last year inscription is definitely one where you're kind of plopped in and you're like what is this game and every you know achievement you get it kind of opens up the game in a different way. Uh, and Tunic is the same way as well. You kind of start bare bones. And the more you play, the world builds out and you learn more about this game. You're like, whoa, this game is a lot deeper than I expected. I think Cocoon like gets, I would say, 95% there for me, where the gameplay and the mechanics are probably a 10 out of 10, where you're like, oh my God. Like By the end, Jacob, I know you know what I'm talking about, where <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is... Like, I thought, first of all, I thought the game was over, like, halfway through. Like, I was texting my buddy, our Sandshot Player Player podcast, and I'm talking to him, like, yeah, I think I'm about at the end of the game. Uh, and I I finished this, like, section. I'm like, huh, I guess, I guess I'm not at the end. And I played for, like, like a couple more hours after that. Um, but, like, having it, like, keep one-upping itself to the point where you're like, I'm like, I don't even know anymore. Like, we've already surpassed where I thought this game was going to stop impressing me and we're like a couple levels above that so the only part the only criticism and i i always like to throw in a criticism to to let everybody know hey i don't think this game is perfect there are some flaws you can't pause on the criticism can you i can't pause on the criticism my my one minor minor criticism is i do think the game is maybe a tad bit abstract i would have liked hmm. a little more bones to chew on 
as I got deeper into the game. Whereas like when I finished it, I felt like I got a satisfying enough answer. Whereas I feel like when you look at a game like Inside or Little Nightmares, when I finished those games, I was like, I cannot believe where this finally took me. Cocoon had a similar thing, but I feel like I, if I just had a couple more tidbits of explanation in there, it would have been a little more enjoyable to wrap up everything, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, it's a little more satisfying when you have the clues and you're like, it was all right there. That's amazing. This, I'm kind of like, yeah, it was there for sure, mm -hmm. but you really, really got to dig. It wasn't like right in front of my face. So, yeah, I think when I was done the game, I, I very much just went, yeah, okay. Yeah. I was very satisfied and like I'd, I'd sort of, because the game essentially, if you look at walkthroughs, it's done in percentages. So essentially when mm -hmm. you load in, it's like it tells you exactly how far you are through your playthrough. Mm -hmm. And in the last like 5%, by then I was just like, I've sort of experienced everything I need to experience with this. And like the end didn't disappoint. It just, mm -hmm. I was just like at the end, I was like, yep, this is a satisfying experience. And the end just check the box for me. You don't come exactly. here for the world and the story they're building. It's really just how you get to that end point. Yep, exactly. Do you all, do you all think your expectations played into that at all in terms of your, how the ending impacted you, Joseph, maybe specifically for you, because you referenced other play dead games like did you have that like man i want this to top inside level <laughs> expectation uh, or for so i'm just curious will... as someone who hasn't finished it yet yeah i will say in a way i'm always looking for that i'm always looking for the next sure. big impact but i think in this case i feel like the game did it to itself if i if i if i'm being okay. honest because as i'm playing it there's there's so there's such a lack of clues and hints and there are little things, little tiny snippet snippets to kind of understand what's going on. But for the most part, it's such devoid of clues that I'm like, well, there has to be some big explanation as to what the hell this game is about. Like, cause it's like in the light, this isn't even really a spoiler. Like in the background, you're just seeing like random creatures or things which kind of like in the background in these like alien settings and you're just like what are these guys what are these things what are, what are they doing where am i and you're just kind of like i must be building up to getting some answer and the longer you go you just keep thinking i'm there must be like we're there must be some answers so like getting to the end and being like yeah that's an answer okay okay cool uh Fair like enough. I, I like I said, I'm not saying it is bad no, by no. any stretch of the means, but or but like when I compare it to my favorite games, I would say that's the only aspect where I didn't feel like the same uh rush of excitement in terms of like the overall package. Yeah, that's fair. It's worth noting for folks that are interested in picking this one up, it's available on Game Pass. You can also play it on Steam, Switch, and PlayStation, so literally everywhere highly recommend this is the first game in a long time where while i was playing it i was like you ever play a game where you're like this is a classic or you're like yeah. this is i i haven't had that note in a minute so it was kind of yeah. cool to be like whoa i feel on the ground floor of of something that re really hit for me so i'm excited to finish it off excited to to talk more about it i'm sure we'll we'll bring this one up during game of the year convos um but let's kick it over to Jacob, you played a couple recent releases. Do you want to tell us about My Friendly Neighborhood? 
Yeah. Uh, before I do that quickly, I just want to say that to your point, yeah, Joseph, you brought up Dave the Diver earlier and said how much you loved it. Uh, I It's probably the, the best game I've played this year, to be honest. But to your point, Luke, I haven't felt this way about an indie since Inscription. So I just want to give the plus two praise. to Cocoon. Heck yeah. It's going to be very high on our list. Uh, yeah, My Friendly Neighborhood. Uh, this is a, a Dread XP published joint. Essentially imagine a an indie Resident Evil game uh, with sort of the aesthetic of a Five Nights at Freddy's is sort of the way that I pitch this game. You are asked to go and uh, figure out, you go to a TV station within the game and you're a repairman and essentially there's a there's an errant signal going on at this TV station that's playing an old school Sesame Street-like puppet-driven television show for kids. Love it. And then you find <laughs> out that, uh-oh, the puppets have taken over the TV station and it's your job to go to the roof to figure it out. Uh, it's a Resident Evil game very much because you have to find keys to get doors and then go to different parts of this environment to essentially eventually get your way onto the roof. Jess and I played this one together. Um, in game time, we played for about six hours, but I think we okay. we ended up playing uh, for for about ten uh, because okay. this has the the things you like about a Resident Evil game, but also some of the things that I think are quite antiquated from some of the older Resident Evil games. So the save system, for example, you mm. need to find coins in the world to be able to save. So on more than one occasion, Jess didn't Jess and I didn't have enough coins to be able to save, so we would play for longer than we probably should have and got killed by one of the puppets and would have to like go back 45 minutes and just replay a section that we'd sort of lost in. But the world and the puppet design, I find was pretty cool. Like there's, there's maybe about half a dozen puppets and they're each very distinct and they sort of just walk around. And, you know, even if you shoot them with your alphabet gun, yes, you you shoot like a typewriter (laughs) ass gun at these puppets. Uh, You know, they're saying like kid phrases to you, like, like, eat your vegetables, and that's not a line in the game, but, like, that genre of thing. Okay. And sometimes even when you shoot them, uh, you may use tape to tape them up because if you leave the room and then come back, they'll basically come back to life. So you can, like, duct tape them to the wall or the floor so they don't really, like, come back to life. And it's just fun to walk through the world sometimes, and then you just hear, like, a children's puppet, like, saying stuff tied up on the floor. The world and the aesthetic is great. The gameplay is serviceable. I think you'll just have to deal with a lot of the annoyances of old Resident Evil games if you want to play this. Right on. So, uh, go ahead, Joseph. I was going to just ask, like, in terms of, like, the world, is there a active story, or is it kind of just, like, they set up the story and you're kind of learning things, and then maybe there's a resolution? How does that, like, are there NPCs kind of guiding you through? What's the, what's the experience there? Yeah, so uh, much of the the puppet's perspective is told via like a a sock puppet that, you know, pops up almost like the little sisters in, in Bioshock, like through pipes and Mm. is actually voice acted. If you know, the YouTuber Arlo, like the the blue puppet voiced by Arlo Mm. from, from the YouTube. So the voice acting is very good for that character who sort of leads you through. Um, And then there are like, um, you know, uh, not diary entries or like newspaper clippings that you find through the world that sort of share why the world is the way it is and what happened to my friendly neighborhood. There was a war. People didn't want this TV show anymore. It got taken off the air. And, you know, then the puppets sort of revolted is the is the overarching story. 
So I would say that, um, and then there's obviously within certain environments too, there's usually like a big bad that sort of roams around. Like at one point there's big, like a big bird type character. That's actually just like a giant puppet flamingo that doesn't attack you, but essentially like may walk over you or is just like peering in certain areas of, of the level, uh, looking for her glasses, uh, wildly enough. So there's like great character designs for some of that stuff. And you get some of the stuff in the world, but um, to your point, Joseph, like this story isn't going to like, you know, it's not like Five Nights at Freddy's level of lore that Matt Pat mm. talks about for 20 videos and we're getting a movie. It, mm. It's serviceable enough. Is it scary or is it more campy kid comedy vibe? Like what's the, the age range on this one? Yeah. Apart from one section at the end, there's nothing that's really like truly, truly scary. Okay. There are some jump scares in that like the puppets will attack you, and if they get too close, the melee combat's really only okay in this thing. You get a wrench, and it's sometimes hard to you know beat up a puppet with a wrench, but um, they will jump at you and sort of like knock you over. So I wouldn't say this is a game for children by any means, but like you know anyone. 13 or up could probably play this one i bet i bet it's rated t it's just occasionally you get the the occasional jump scare in this one so interesting story yeah um when i was growing up my mom used to watch buffy the vampire slayer yeah and there was a spinoff called angel okay right? and angel was a character in buffy the vampire slayer or whatever he had his own tv show david boreanis plays or whatever yes. yeah yes there's an episode where they go to a like studio like a pbs type studio and there are puppets turning that go demonic puppets that are turning people into <laughs> evil puppets and they like basically are like we want to kill everybody and they're saying all this like weird demented stuff mm -hmm. and that traumatized me as a kid i was like this is so scary <laughs> not it didn't like it wasn't like you know i wasn't having nightmares about it mm -hmm. but it definitely kind of I thought it was cool and creepy and probably for adults, this, they were probably like, Oh yeah, this is dumb and fun or whatever. But that episode stuck with me to this day. Probably like it's probably been like two decades almost since I've seen that. Um, so I asked the guy who developed, I played the demo at PAX mm -hmm. East asked the developer if there was any inspiration from that. Cause it's very similar. Mm -hmm. Uh, he said no, but, uh, <laughs> Long story short, I was like, man, this could be some really, really interesting lore if the puppets are like, there's something like really weird and sinister going on with these puppets. Is there any like big plot twist or is it just kind of like, hey, these puppets were always real life creatures in this world and now they're just kind of like evil or is there any like plot twist or interesting thing to look forward to? I would say that there's a there's a small twist in the last like sort of 30 minutes of the game that you know, flips the story on its head just a little bit. Um, mm. But I'd say very much this is just like more about exploring, exploring, seeing the big characters and not really about the, the story in itself. It reminds me a lot of um, Hello Neighbor in like mm. aesthetic uh, mm. and the, the sort of scary vibes in it. So I actually looked up the ESRB rating because I was curious it's it's t it's it's not okay. an e-rated title um but no it's it's not the story won't blow your socks off there's a twist or two joseph but um mm. if you're really looking for like five nights at freddy level lore here you're not going to get it 
Uh, one other question. I when I play the demo, I was in this like little. I think the neighborhood with the flamingo. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's do the, the big bird character. Yes. Yeah. Do the do the areas change up drastically, or is it all kind of similar looking they do so there's there's a couple of different areas there's like a an office building um there's sort of like the the tv sets that are in there um we've got sort of like a greenhouse aviary style we've got the sewers so like there's a relative amount of variety in there and they really feel for an indie title they feel really lived in uh so i gave it a seven and a half out of ten on uh my review because i I wrote a review for the gaming reef.ca uh which is my little site for reviews so it's something in my mind that if if you are a fan of this genre of game you must absolutely play this one um but i I don't want to say buyer beware but you know this this game will definitely not be be for everyone it's great for spooky october yeah i was gonna say i might check this out We'll, (laughs) we'll see i've been on the hunt for like Claire and I always like to play a couple spooky season games. We we did Costume Quest a couple years ago. That was really fun together, and things like that are fun to sprinkle in. I play this on Steam Deck uh, plugged into my TV, and I experienced okay. like a weird issue with respect to exposure and brightness where everything mm. just either seemed dark or if you cranked up the exposure and the, the, the brightness, everything was just blown out. But Got it. Okay. It, it ran really well on Steam Deck, so... I think this is a, a good candidate for your list, Luke. Nice. Uh, Very cool. Another another tangent. This will probably take a second. <laughs> Hooper in. Let's play, go. How do you, when you hook your Steam Deck to your TV, do you have like a Bluetooth controller plugged in or what's that situation? Yeah. So I ended up getting. Connect it directly to the Steam Deck, right? Yeah. So I ended up getting, there's a, there's a Genki dock, I believe, which is essentially just mm. like a, it's like a plug that's got HDMI and power in it. So that's mm-hmm. how I'm hooked up to my TV. I'd recommend this Genki dock. It works really well, and it's like 40 nice. bucks. It's great for you can pack in a suitcase, like if you want to yes. bring your Steam Deck with you. If you're at a hotel, you can just easily plug in. Uh, and I've got an 8-bit Do controller as well, which works really mm-hmm. well. Nice. I don't have oh, the Switch good. version because there's two versions of the controller. There's the Switch version that has the Switch-style buttons, which, like, I don't know, for some reason, the Switch-style controls with the A and B being flipped on Steam Deck, like, it broke my brain. So I ended up returning yeah. that and getting the regular one, and it, it works really well. Wireless? Uh, yeah, it's the 8-Bit Do, like, Pro controller, uh, and it looks very... It feels exactly like a Nintendo Pro controller, except it's got, mm. like, Xbox-style controls. I like that. And you can connect an Xbox controller... Bluetooth oh. to a Steam Deck too. Yeah, just say less. that out there. Say yeah, because you can. Okay. I just hate the D pad on the Xbox controller. That's so fair. like, I was playing Dave the Diver, and I'm like, man, this this D pad sucks. And so I ended yeah. up getting the eight bit do, which has a great D pad. Right yeah, I haven't done it personally, but I I noticed a lot of devs at packs for like additional screens had like Steam Deck on a stand on their table with Xbox controller, which was mm-hmm. a nice nice option. So mm-hmm. good stuff. Jacob, you have one more game that you played recently, 30XX. This yeah. one's been on my radar for a while. I want to hear what you think. Yeah, so this is the, the sequel to 20XX. Uh, this is from Battery Staple, I believe is the name of the, the dev. Uh, it is a Mega Man X roguelite, roguelike game where, uh, you know, very much like Mega, Mega Man X where you have eight bosses and, you know, a final boss, gather their powers, get to the end, except you can play it in a roguelite mode. For me... 
I'm a baby when it comes to video games, so I definitely played in the game's mega mode, which takes out the permadeath element of it, where, like, if you die in a run, you just, like, keep all the power-ups you have and all the powers you have, because I wouldn't be able to beat it. Like, it's it's pretty difficult, but it is the first, because I've played stuff like Mighty Number no. 9, and Mighty Number no. 9 is just, like, not what I'm looking for when I'm playing a game like that. This one, the controls were just exactly like a Mega Man game. They were like pixel perfect. The music was dope. The graphics were dope. Uh, the level design was cool. There was a bit of uh, variety and randomness in the actual level design where there are like crafted blocks in the world that are sort of varied as you as you play it. But um, no, this one's super dope. Uh, not to not to bury the lead, my my reviews on six one indie dot com. Uh, shout it. out to the crew over there for letting me write words on that website. Um, but this one's this one's really great. It's been in early access for a while. It's now on PC and Switch. Another one I played on Steam Deck, and you can play as either a character like Proto Man if you know the Mega Man games that has a sword, or you can play as a character that very much is an analog to Mega Man that has like a blaster that works just like Mega Man. This one's super dope, especially if you're okay with games with a little bit of difficulty. Uh, this one is one that you should most definitely check out. It came about, out about a month ago on PC and then just hit 1.0 on Switch. Um, I'd highly recommend this one. Let me ask you something, Jacob. Yes, have of you, course. Have you played Dave the Diver? I have. So where does... Now that you seem to have played all the bigger indie titles this year, uh, with exception of CS Stars, I guess. Yeah. Uh, where does this rank? Uh, this game may not be in my top 10 for the year. Okay. Well, just for indie games. Just for indie games. Um, it's probably a top four indie game because I think about like Dave the Diver and Dredge are definitely there. Uh, mm. And then Cocoon comes after that. And if you told me like after that top three, 30XX might be right after that. Okay. It's pixel, okay. It, it really just, you know, a game that just feels really good to play. This yeah. one just is is perfect the controls just you never do anything in the game that you your controller doesn't like tell the game to do and i know that sounds like dumb when i say it out loud but it's just it just is is so finely tuned and all the power-ups are great and the thing that you don't get in a Mega Man x game is as you collect powers from the bosses you can actually fuse those powers together and create an entirely new set of powers so you have eight powers from bosses that then you can create 30 fusion powers that use like different levels of your your power each time you use them so i like that this just looks like good gaming comfort food you know Mm -hmm. what i mean of like the genre the art style how's the music it it looks really it's dope it's super dope like uh, all you need to do is listen to the the opening song and like it'll bang the the soundtrack is from i'm gonna i'm gonna give credit to the the soundtrack here while while we're talking because the um the the musician that did the soundtrack this game could have been a snes game or like a genesis era like love that uh, not maybe not genesis but maybe like ps1 super nintendo like it fits in that era incredibly well nice yeah this one's been on my radar i feel like not to say any this i don't mean this in a negative way but like i feel like this is a known quantity if that makes mm-hmm. sense of like, I know what this is. And when I want a game like this, I will definitely be picking it up to play, but it, it doesn't feel like a must play for me right this second amidst the crazy busy season. We're working our way through. Yeah. It's the, the soundtracks from city fires is the name of the artist and it's fantastic. And I'm solely, I'm totally with you, Luke. Like this is not like, it's not something I would put over dredge or Dave, the diver or cocoon, but it's something that like, if but if you put want it on your this wish list, type of game, yeah. like this is yeah, 100%. put it on your totally. wish list. 
and like the minute it drops by 20% or 30%, like this thing is truly, truly, truly a must buy for fans of the genre. Good stuff. Uh, Luke, you played a video game that I'm very curious about. I played the demo at PAX East. Uh, Goodbye Volcano High. Um, Did you love it? I did, actually, which, to be honest, was kind of surprising. I've played several visual novel kind of narrative-focused games this year and kind of been underwhelmed by most of them, if not all of them. Um, I was a little skeptical going into Goodbye Volcano High just because I enjoyed what I played at at PAX, but it's kind of tricky to play like a narrative-focused game demo in that convention setting, so I I just wasn't sure how it would hit once I sat down with the full game. And there's some quirks to it early on, specifically with um, the rhythm game aspects of the game that you kind of have to get a handle on to really feel comfortable playing. But once I got that under my belt, um, I really vibed with the characters. I thought the music and art style were fantastic. And I think the narrative is a fun twist on the classic, like, let's do a coming-of-age tale Mm -hmm. um, in gaming. So for folks that aren't familiar... Goodbye Volcano High is developed by a studio called Co-op. It is a narrative rhythm game, um, all centered around teenage dinosaurs as they experience the end of the world with a meteor coming to to essentially decimate the population. Not Um, a spoiler. It's in like the first ten minutes of the game. Well, and the game is called Goodbye. Yeah, this is like this is the setup, and so. I thought that premise in it itself was very interesting and I, I love dinosaurs and as quirky as it all sounds, I think the game does a lot of really nice things to be intentional and thoughtful and um, have commentary on mental health and kind of delve into some darker themes that I wasn't necessarily expecting. So this felt a lot more than a surface level pass at kind of this premise. I thought it, it it was really well executed and I thought each of the characters by the end were all really compelling in their own ways and it's funny, it's it's fun, and I think the music is really a standout for this year for me. So and to compare it to um I know last year, Jacob, you and I both played We Are OK. We are okay. What's it called yeah. now? It's called something different now. Oh, is it? Yeah, they ended up changing. So the name of the band is still OFK, but they actually changed the name of the game to sort of reflect um, to reflect it. It's now called, I think, Pop Love Panic is the name of the actual game itself. Okay. But the band is called Pop Love Panic. That's very interesting. I missed that one. Um, Mm -hmm. That said, I think that's the closest analog to this (laughs) this one. But for me, I think the rhythm game gameplay of the music sections. And the impact your narrative choices have in this game made this more of a game experience mm-hmm. than We Are OFK, I felt like, was a like interactive, light, visual novel experience. Whereas I would say this is like, this is a narrative game, you're doing things, you're playing the rhythm game mechanics and um, making choices that matter and, and different things. So I would I would give this this game the edge for sure. I have a question that's related to dialogue because I always, when I think of games like this, I think of Life is Strange and how Mm -hmm. the first Life is Strange was made by like a French dev, like from, from France. And like, it's almost like they're like, it was really great, but some of the dialogue was like, Hey, we watched the OC once and we kind of wrote dialogue that was likened us to like One Tree Hill and the OC. Does this game have that same problem where sometimes the dialogue makes you cringe a little bit? 
Yes, not, I wouldn't say it's a consistent thing, mm-hmm. but any teen-focused narrative drama has a few moments, but I wouldn't say it cringes because it's bad writing. It cringes because it's like, when you're a teenager, you <laughs> do things that are cringe, you yeah. know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I, the writing worked for me, generally speaking, and I think that the dinosaur end-of-the-world angle kind of give it some originality that, that help it along the way. How queer is this game? Um... It can, it, it's very open with it and Love very, it. It, yeah, no, it's great. Sorry. I didn't mean to like deer in headlights in that question. I just like, hadn't really thought about it. I guess I hadn't really thought about it because the game just treats it as like a very open fluid. The perfect this game way to can treat be it. what you want. It's, it doesn't like call it out in a like weird obstructive way. It's just mm-hmm. very like, this is a great vibe. It's natural. It feels authentic. Well, yeah, it was great. And then as a fan of indie rock, like, does the soundtrack bang? Because it it reminded really me a lot of like The Beaches. It. Yeah, this would be one that, like, if they dropped a vinyl next week on Limited Run or I Am 8-Bit, I'd totally pick it up because re- really in- enjoyed the music a lot. And the the rhythm game elements, too, I thought by the end I was, like, hilariously, like, on the edge of my seat. Like, because if you nail the rhythm game elements, it, like, helps you narratively in the mm-hmm. story. So I'm like, I'm going to get a 90% on every performance because I, I want to get these, these story moments with the characters. So I played this demo at PAX East. And going into the demo, I was very excited. Coming out of the demo, I was less excited for myself uh, just mm-hmm. because... This is not really my type of game. I'm not really a visual novel guy. Um, And there is one exception, all right, when the drama is there. I need need intense drama. Are you about to say Degrassi? Is that what you're doing right now? I'm trying to figure out how to get it in there. Just say it. Degrassi is a high school. Volcano (laughs) High is a high school. Uh, Luke, you haven't seen Degrassi, so I can't ask you to compare it to that. (laughs) Or have you? I bits and pieces, you know what I mean? Episode okay, okay. here or there. Don't worry, we'll figure that out later. Okay. <laughs> uh, but where is the drama? Because, like, for comparison, right, I look at Life is Strange True Colors, and that was a game that I was not really interested in. Like, I don't... When we have talk about games where we're talking about everyday life and mm-hmm. just random town, part of my French... Uh, can we cuss on this podcast? I don't remember. Should we not? I, I do, and I'm the oh, editor okay. of the podcast, so I think it's fine. Cuss okay. away, brother. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so basically, small town shit. I don't. I don't really care for. Uh, sure. But Life is Strange has such great emotional beats and drama that I was sucked in. Yeah. How? How is this more like? Hey, we're we're kind of all friends, but you know, Tracy doesn't really want to be in the band anymore. X, Y, and Z. Or is it like, holy shit, we see the meteor, like we need to figure this stuff out. Like, where where's the where are we on the radar on the scale? Sure, I think it's kind of in in the middle ground of like I would put Life is Strange True Colors at like peak narrative storytelling, making you generally a genuinely invested in these really authentic characters interesting side stories like intriguing mystery that makes you want to keep going like there's like so it's layers to that game that like really surprised me um i wouldn't put goodbye volcano high on that same level but i think it's solid i think there there is some intrigue there are some cool character dynamics there is the like stereotypical like oh she doesn't want to be in the band anymore character but i think they play off of those 
tropes in some different ways and i i think the end of the world angle really helps a lot of that um it was really interesting playing this in a like semi post-pandemic world whatever we live in right now because (laughs) there's kind of some interesting parallels to um the developing covid19 crisis with this end of the world meteor element in a sense that like at the beginning of the game you hear that a meteor an asteroid is coming what does that mean? Nobody knows. Oh, it's a joke. Let's make light of it. What does that mean? Very similar to like January or December of 2019, January of 2020, when there was just so much uncertainty about COVID. It was just like this unknown, like who the heck knows what's going on. So I think they play on those narrative ideas in some interesting ways. And I, I just genuinely liked the characters. I I think about a game that Jacob and I reviewed a several months back stray gods and how there were so many moments in that game narratively where I just felt bored. Yeah. And I didn't ever feel bored in goodbye volcano high, but there were story beats where I was like, I know where this is going. This is, this is this character archetype, but there were also moments that surprised me. So I think it's long winded answer. It's in that middle ground, but I think it's solid. I don't know if for folks like you, Joseph, that like generally don't really vibe with, narrative like this type of visual novel narrative game i don't know if this one like transcends that genre but i think for folks who like a kind of strictly narrative experience or a music game i think this is definitely worth checking out is this gonna hit your list uh, do you think i could see it being on the lower half of my list like a a number 10 yeah based on my experience i i cried at the ending which i really didn't expect and I, I say I don't cry often, but I feel like I've been saying that more and more often lately. So who knows what that means? Maybe I'm just at an emotional place in my life. But um, I the characters really resonated with me. And the, the, the idea of like making art, making friendship, making something meaningful, like before your untimely demise. Like I, there, there's something relatable there that I, I thought was really special. Uh, how is the how are the game? How's the game broken up? Like, are there chapters or like? Because I know, like, in Life is Strange, sure. there is kind of, like, the big cliffhanger at the end of the chapter to kind of keep you pushing. What's that driving force in this game? Sure. So, the narrative setup, it's broken up into eight episodes. Each episode's roughly, like, 20 to 30 minutes, depending on how long you play it. I finished the game in about under seven hours, so it's, like, that six to eight hour narrative experience, which felt about right for this one. But the story setup... Um, your main character that you play as Fang is in a band called Worm Drama with her two best friends. Good. Very good. Uh, you get to design the logos for the band. It's great. It's really charming. Um, and they have an audition for a Battle of the Bands competition, which will lead them to play a like Coachella-esque music festival, potential record deal, this and that, fame and success. That's the goal. So... For Fang, her goal is to, like, make it big as a musician and then kind of the interplay of what each character wants out of life because they're all seniors in high school, so there's this kind of interesting parallel of, like, let's figure out college. What are we going to do with the rest of our lives? Also, the world might end. So there's this, like, play of, like, different characters are, like, super unmotivated. Different characters want to be surgeons uh you know what i mean everything in between and so there's kind of this push and pull of like what is our future how do we use the time we have left is kind of the driving force of like 
there's not like an overarching mystery like life is strange it's very much about the character relationships the moments the music that that's kind of the main driving force of the narrative i would say there are choices though nespa yes yeah so you have choices um they're very relationship based in terms of like I am going to prioritize speaking to this person over this person, or we're having an argument about how to progress in the band. I am going to side with this character. Um, I want to ignore this optional dialogue and go talk to these people instead. And that influences things. I didn't see like dramatic differences, but there were definitely impact in terms of like, I remember a, a kind of pivotal moment someone was waiting for me outside and without thinking about it, I chose to stay inside for an extra five minutes. And then I went outside and they were upset that I left them waiting and that impacted things. So like little things like that, that I was like pleasantly surprised of like, Oh, these choices do matter. There is some, some, some things happening behind the scenes. It's not just like tunnel vision, one direction, if you will. Uh, final question, kind of sure. pulling this out. Uh, yeah. So this game notably got put on everybody's radar because it was in like a PlayStation state of play. If I remember correctly, mm -hmm. or I don't even remember, it might've been a showcase. Uh, but I'm curious from your perspective, right? These games don't often get the spotlight, uh, by the first party console makers or even third party publishers for the most part. Uh, I think of Doki Doki literature club. That was a big deal when it came to PlayStation. And it's very obvious why that one kind of stands out. Life is Strange is another one where I wouldn't consider it a visual novel, but that's because it is kind of like this 3D, we're moving around, interacting, kind of like a new take on the genre. Do you think there is anything particularly... Do you, What do you think caught PlayStation's eye that put this visual novel in front of everybody as opposed to the dozens of others we find on Steam and whatnot? I think the art style is really, really striking. It's really pretty. It feels like you're watching an amazing cartoon, hand-drawn, just lovely. And I think that dinosaur end-of-the-world element really caught a lot of folks' eye, myself included. And I think the PlayStation team probably saw a lot of value in coming-of-age tale. Everyone can relate, but also people love dinosaurs and... <laughs> Um, I also think there's a big push for, for music games to make a comeback or music to be heavily involved in games. And I think that's an aspect I didn't touch on a whole lot, but I think the rhythm game elements of this game are quite good. It's a little wonky at the beginning. I played on PC initially with mouse and keyboard, but I quickly switched to controller because the rhythm game elements were kind of tricky to do on mouse and keyboard. So for folks that haven't played the game, the essentially the gameplay hook is your using the thumbstick to hold notes in different directions, and then they're using buttons to cue quick time events to the beat. The weird thing is that the quick time events to the beat don't actually feel like they're as on the beat as you would think. Like, it's not very precise, and it's a lot more like, I'm going to emphasize the offbeat. I'm going to emphasize this accent hit to get music theory nerdy. It's not like... <laughs> the thing you hear most prominently in your ear. So it's like, mm. I had to really like focus in order to do well at the, the rhythm game elements, but it was cool to have a level of interactivity during the music sequences that felt meaningful. And it also felt like when I screwed them up, it impacted the narrative. Whereas I think back to 
I'm sorry, I already forgot the the new name for We Are OFK, but in that game, it's, like, very, like, ethereal, we're gonna move objects in space just to make it look cool during the music. It didn't feel like I was, like, it didn't feel like gameplay. It felt like I'm gonna move this interactive painting, Mm -hmm. whereas this was, like, I am playing in a band right now, and that's kind of cool. Okay. I think I'm I'm curious. I, I don't know if I'll have time to play it before the end of the year because video games. Um, yeah, it's it's good. It's definitely worth playing. I think for folks that have been excited about this one and had it on their radar, I would definitely recommend it. And if you enjoy a good narrative game, check it out. Goodbye, Volcano High. Goodbye, Volcano High. All right, we round well, up the indie games, huh? We rounded them up, so lots of games. Um, if you want to find links to check these games out, they'll be in the show description. I didn't mention Goodbye Volcano High is on um, PS5, PS4, and on Steam, so a couple options there to play. But, yeah, this was a lot of fun, y'all. Any any closing thoughts, anything to get off your chest before we sign off for the week? I- uh, I'll, I'll say this into a microphone because we said it sure. well before we started recording, but I, I started playing Pikmin 4, Luke, and uh, all the things you've said about Pikmin 4 are absolutely right. Like, this is it's a dark horse. It's a, very, a very dark horse for me for the end of the year, to be honest. Let me, I, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, let me tell you guys a quick story that happened to me this past week. Oh, please. I'm, <laughs> story time. I went out to dinner with some of our friends, and uh, I'm Vimmoing. Uh, one of our friends for dinner. I'm like, okay, I'm here. I'm paying you for whatever we got, our our hot pot. And I look at her Vimo and I'm like, who is who is this guy? What does this mean? And she was like, I think because it says that he was paying her for Pikmin. I'm like, Pikmin? What? And she's like, oh yeah, I I bought Pikmin four, beat it in like two days, and sold it to him, this random stranger. And I'm like, how dare you not tell me you had this game so I could play it first? Mm-hmm. What are we doing? And she was like. You know, my bad. <laughs> that was my chance. Now I'll probably not play Pikmin 4 this year. I had a chance. So I Desiree, will mail you my copy of Pikmin 4 so you play Pikmin oh. 4, to be completely oh, honest. Go. It's there like that go. good that like... Wow. Just for the sake of like... I'll pay I don't for want shipping. another Sifu situation a game of, game, of, game of the Year podcast, y'all. I want everyone to like have played the game that I am Dark Horse You mean a middling video game Sifu, right? Oh, shut the fuck Whoa. up. Get out of here with your... I might bleep that one, but... Luke has one button, and it's Sifu, and <laughs> I saw the rage, brother. That's true. I respect everyone's opinion, and I know I'm in the, the minority on that one, but... I, I think Pikmin is a much better game than Sifu. I'll be I'll be super clear. I enjoy the heck out of Sifu, but I recognize its flaws. Pikmin, I think, is like game design at its peak. We'll get into it, but it's a very good game. <laughs> wow. But, yeah. All right. All right. Cool. Well, we are setting our status to away until next time. But until then, we have three things for you to do for us. Follow us on Twitter at Crossplay Convos. Send this podcast to a friend because that's how people hear about podcasts. And give us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really, really helps. Any content things to plug, y'all? Other places folks can find you? 
Uh, yeah, I'll start and say um, we are doing a- an episode of the Left Behind Game Club about Super Mario Galaxy, which comes out tomorrow. It was edited. Oh, sorry, not Super Mario Galaxy, about Fallout 3 uh, okay. that was edited by uh, Luke Lewis. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, I didn't edit a Galaxy episode. <laughs> yeah, so you, didn't, you didn't do that. Uh, it's Fallout 3. Luke edited it. It's myself, Katie Lesperance, talking for over an hour about Fallout 3. Uh, it comes out tomorrow, so you can check that out at leftbehindgame.club. Uh, okay. And you can find me on the Twitter at Jacob McCourt, J-A-C-O-B-M-C-C-O-U-R-T. Thank you. Love it. Joseph, how about for you? Uh, you guys can always check us out at player player at uh, player 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 pod.com player player video game podcast on all podcasting services. Uh, I should have more videos coming out soon on Camp Pause. Thinking about doing a video on Cocoon soon um, and a video on uh, another game, Lucid. Lucid, I Ooh, forgot the name. Oh, nice. From Black Mass Studios? That's, that's yeah. the one. That's the one. So stay tuned. Love and it. we're starting to get into the season of best X indie games of the year. So I'll probably start putting those videos together and putting some new video, uh, new indie games on you guys' radar. So get ready for that. Excited to see it. And you can find me at Lukewarm Lewis on all social platforms. You can listen to the Lukewarm Games podcast every other week. And yeah, stay tuned for some end of the year content. Got some cool developer interviews coming up. Lots of fun happenings. With that, thanks y'all. Cheers and happy gaming. Bye.